Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me today. My name is Ryan Jump, and I am a former math and science teacher. And, like most everybody, I just love movies. But one of the main reasons why I love movies is not just the action or maybe the funny scenes. Those are all good in themselves. But I love watching movies because I like to see what I can get out of them, what I can learn from them. How can I possibly better myself by watching them? Now, not every movie out there, probably, may have these teaching points in them. But with this podcast series, I want to focus on those movies that have those themes, those quotes, those subliminal messages present, where the movie might be trying to teach something to its audience. I plan on doing this while going over the plot and inserting occasional bits of amusing remarks along the way. And I'm going to enjoy every minute of it, and I hope you will too. In today's adventure, we will be exploring the themes, quotes, and some funny scenes in one of my favorite movies from my childhood, the first Home Alone movie. This movie is a 1990 American comedy film written and produced by John Hughes and directed by Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus strikes again! This is the second of our movies that we have reviewed that has been directed by Chris Columbus, the first one being my review on Mrs. Doubtfire. Anyways, the film follows an eight-year-old boy named Kevin, played by Macaulay Culkin, who must defend his home from two burglars named Harry and Marv, played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern, after his family accidentally leaves him behind on their vacation. Released in November of 1990, it grossed $476.7 million and held the record for the highest-grossing live-action comedy ever until it was overtaken by The Hangover Part 2 in 2011. The film received two Golden Globe Award nominations for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy and Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy for Culkin, as well as two Academy Award nominations for Best Original Score, which was composed by John Williams, and Best Original Song for Somewhere in My Memory. With that out of the way, let's begin. In our first scene, we have a cop, played by Joe Pesci, inside the front door of a big house. It's complete pandemonium. It's a full house of people rushing about the house, going up and down stairs, shouting and talking to each other, ignoring the cop. The cop just wants to talk to the owner of the house to ask him a few questions. And everyone pretty much ignores him, uh, which of course frustrates uh, the burglar-disguised cop. In a different room, Mrs. McAllister, played by Catherine O'Hara, is on the phone saying that the whole family is planning a trip to France together for Christmas. Kevin, the main character of our story, jumps on his mom's bed and won't get off when his mom asks him to. The father, whose name is Peter, and is played by John Hurd, walks in. Now Hurd, I believe, is deceased, but he was in shows such as Prison Break and Person of Interest, to name a few. Peter asks his wife if they have a voltage adapter, but the mom dismisses the question. Then one of Kevin's aunts asks if Peter has a voltage adapter, and Peter just plants Kevin in her lap and says, Here's a voltage adapter. 
Then the aunt tells Kevin to pack his suitcase, which shocks Kevin because he doesn't know how. Back to Pesci, who quips the funny line, All kids, no parents, probably a fancy orphanage. So he's still trying to talk to a parent who owns a house to talk to them, and he is not having much success. Kevin, being unsuccessful in getting help and packing his suitcase, walks into his brother's room. A few seconds later, his brother, Buzz, notices someone outside with a snow shovel. They congregate together by the window, and Kevin learns that this snow shoveler person is nicknamed the South Bend Shovel Slayer. Meanwhile, outside, a pizza delivery man's car slides on the ice and knocks down a metal statue outside the house. I laugh every time this happens. It never gets old. When Kevin hears there's pizza, Kevin rushes down the stairs yelling, Pizza! Pizza! But apparently, Kevin only likes cheese pizza. No toppings. What is with this kid? You're telling me you don't like pepperoni or sausage? Then again, my wife is perfectly happy with an extra cheese pizza from Casey's. So, anyways, I guess Kevin's not completely alone. When Buzz is about to throw up Kevin's cheese pizza, Kevin goes into berserk attack mode and pushes Buzz causing drinks to spill and all sorts of mess. During one of these shots, Peter is trying to save the passports from being covered with milk, but a closer look shows that one accidentally gets thrown away into the garbage can. Kevin starts to gripe about what Buzz did, but his Uncle Frank delivers the line, Look what you did, you little jerk. So, all I got to say is that the world doesn't revolve around you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin's mom leads him out of the dining room and pays the pizza guy as Joe Pesci is still sniffing around. Pesci shows off his gold-toothed smile at Kevin. Ooh, evil foreshadowing moment. And gives a, you're in good hands with Allstate, send-off impression to the mom before Dennis Haysbert was doing the commercials. Uh, if you don't know, Dennis Haysbert is... Um, a black man who's been doing the Allstate commercials for a very long time. So um, just Joe Pesci gives his own impression of you're in good hands with this house. You know, your your house is safe and fine for the holidays. You know, it's very ironic, you know, he's but, you know, just Joe Pesci is really a criminal, but he's dressed up as a cop as to um, just try to show the parents that everything is going to be fine, you know. But Kevin finally apologizes to his mother, but still throws a mini tantrum, wishing that he would never see his family ever again before he goes to bed. I kind of feel like Kevin is being treated with kid gloves, um, but hopefully he turns out okay. We'll see. In the middle of the night, the power goes out, and then mayhem ensues the following morning as the electrical alarm clocks have failed. So everybody is late for going to the airport. And of course, the statue outside gets knocked over by the airport transport vans. 
everybody is fast forwarded rushing throughout the house trying to get ready to go. Um, like it literally looks like they did a take of the people walking normally and then they just fast forwarded the tape and then just played it as part of the movie. So it, it looks hilarious watching. Uh, a neighborhood kid later gets mistakenly counted as being Kevin in a later scene uh, when all the kids are lined up to be counted and put into the different vans. Uh, a repairman tries to stop the mom to tell her that the phone lines will be down a few days, but she doesn't seem to think that that should matter. Um, boy, she is in for a surprise. And now we get to the airport scene. We have one huge family running as fast as they can through an, through an airport. And I just wonder how hard this was to make this logistically possible as Chuck Berry's Run Run Rudolph is playing in the background. When they arrive on the plane, the stewardess asks to take their coats. And I always thought this was a little strange. I don't know, was that a normal thing to do back in the 90s? Um, for airliners to take your coat, stewardess to take your coats when you got in. Uh, maybe that was something they did on first class. I don't know. Uh, it surely wasn't done the last time I was on an airplane back in 2016, 2017. And it surely is not happening during the times of COVID that we are living in. But anyways. And then we see Kevin. He just woke up. Um, I don't know if it's at least 10 a.m., 11 a.m., He's at home, alone, asking where everyone is. He walks down to the basement and comes face to face with one of his fears, the basement furnace who he imagines is growling at him. He tries to put it to rest by his fear to rest by trying to tell himself that it is only my imagination, but it gets the better of him and he runs upstairs. Hey. Isn't that similar to a song by the Cranberries, Just My Imagination? No? Oh, okay then. Must have been Just My Imagination. Oops. Kevin then runs outside and sees his parents' vehicles, but finally makes the connection that they left for Paris and left him behind. Then he realizes, I made my family disappear. So Kevin goes a little bonkers and celebrates by eating junk food and running throughout the house like a little crazy madman shouting, I'm free! He then watches the movie that Uncle Frank said he couldn't watch, Angels with Filthy Souls, and this part of dialogue is one of my favorites in the film. Has this gangster named Johnny that says to this other man, Hey, I tell you what I'm going to give you, snakes. I'm going to give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny. I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. Ah-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Ah-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Ah-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha. Keep the change, you filthy animal. And all during those laughter, he's shooting a Tommy gun. So, um, I do have a an impression I can make of a, of a, of a machine gun. But um, I decided not to make it 
on this video. Maybe I will at a later time. I don't know. But after seeing that scene, um, Kevin shouts, Mom! And somehow, probably hundreds of miles away, his mom senses that something is wrong. She asks herself, What else can we be forgiving, forgetting? And the, and the father doesn't know. Um, but then the mom responds, Kevin! And the mom is simply besides herself, beside herself. Skipping to another scene, the family is now running like crazy in the Paris airport. The mom finds a payphone and finally gets to the Chicago police station to agree to send a cop over to their house. But when the cop comes over, Kevin gets scared and doesn't answer the door, so the cop leaves. Meanwhile, the parents are having trouble getting a flight to the States. The mom decides to stay at the airport to be on standby in case a seat opens up while the dad and the rest of the family wait till Friday morning, two days away. Now Kevin is at a general store and apparently asks if this toothbrush he wants to buy is approved by the American Dental Association. What? Who is this kid? What kid would wonder about this? I surely wouldn't. But when an attendant at the store tries to find out, old man Marley, the uh, shovel killer, walks into the store scaring Kevin and causing Kevin to dart out of the store. A cop even pursues Kevin, but Kevin gets by sliding by some ice skaters and hockey players. But Kevin feels terrible afterwards, saying he's a criminal. Just not sorry enough to return the brush, though. On the way home, Kevin is not looking where he is going and almost gets hit by Marvin and Harry's van, the two crooks. After telling Kevin to watch out and be more careful, Harry wishes Kevin Merry Christmas, and Kevin sees the gold tooth smile, the same one from that cop who was at his house the other night. He slowly turns around and begins to walk, then run away. Marv and Harry decide to follow Kevin. After giving them the slip, Kevin says, If those guys come back, I'll be ready. And ready he shall surely be. We find he has totally that Kevin has totally transformed the house to make it seem like it is full of people using mannequins and a train taking a Michael Jordan cutout for a ride throughout the house. This clearly dumbfounds the two burglars. What I want to know is for how long Kevin has been activating the two mannequins eating and drinking at the table because it looks like quite the workout. He has got to be exhausted, depending on how long he has been keeping this act up. But I guess he's a kid with loads of energy, right? Right. The next night, it looks like Kevin has ordered a cheese pizza, and guess what happens, folks? Yes! The pizza man has knocked over the metal statue over. Again. Can somebody teach these Chicagoans how to drive, or at least how and when to apply their brakes? No offense to any Chicagoans listening to this podcast. I'm just joking. Now here we come to one of the funniest parts of the movie. Kevin plays the Angels gangster movie to converse with the pizza delivery guy so he can get his pizza. It's pretty funny to just watch the terrified look on the delivery guy's face when Johnny on the movie starts laughing and shooting his Tommy gun. 
I am, however, very surprised that the delivery guy doesn't call for the cops to be sent to Kevin's house after this. I mean, realistically speaking, if this had happened to you and you thought that you were being shot at while making a delivery and had just barely escaped with your life, wouldn't you have called the cops? But no, that doesn't happen here, which just means that more funny scenes will be able, be able to still happen in this movie. At the airport, the mom is trying to offer anything she can to another traveler to get on a plane so she can get closer to her son, offering $500, a pocket translator, earrings, two first-class tickets, and perhaps her expensive non-Rolex watch and a ring. She is successful in making the trade for the plane ticket to get closer. This love that the mother has for her son shows the kind of love that all true mothers have for their son, that no wealth, though no material goods, are more important than one's own flesh and blood, especially one's own son and daughter. I am sure that all mothers or fathers will be able to relate. At home, Kevin does some deep reflecting. He realizes that he really loves his family and wants nothing more than ever than to have his family back and is sorry for all the things he said and did. Even though he is still a young kid, I think this whole experience has started to help him grow and mature. When Kevin gets home, he is doing laundry and comes face to face with the scary furnace, but Kevin faces his fears, telling it to shut up and moves along. Harry and Marv are back in the van outside Kevin's house and are so confused that no one is at the house compared to last night. Harry tells Marv to check it out, but gets scared via the same way the pizza delivery guy did through Kevin using the same gangster movie. The next mor morning, Kevin overhears that Marv and Harry will be coming back at 9 p.m. In a later scene, Kevin walks by a church where a choir is singing Christmas carols. And this is where we get to one of the major themes of the movie. Inside, he sees Old Man Marley, and when the two lock eyes, Kevin is at first scared. But Marley comes over to him and wishes him Merry Christmas. He tells Kevin that he doesn't have to be a stranger to him and to not believe the awful rumors about him. Kevin says, I've been kind of a pain lately. I said some things I shouldn't have. I really haven't been too good this year. I'm kind of upset because I really like my family, even though sometimes I say I don't. Sometimes I even think I don't. Do you get that? Marley says. I think so. How you feel about your family is a complicated thing. But deep down, you always love them. But you can forget that you love them, and you can hurt them, and they can hurt you. And that's not just because you're young. Apparently, Marley is here because he is not on the best of terms with his son. Both Marley and his son said they never wanted to see each other again. Kevin asks Marley, if you miss him, why don't you call him? But Marley thinks his son wouldn't talk to him if he called. Marley says he is afraid to call his son. When Kevin asks him if he is a little too old to be afraid of things, Marley responds, you can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. Kevin used the example of him not being afraid of the furnace in the basement anymore to convince Marley to try to give his relationship with his son another shot and give his son a call. In other words, face your fears. The two leave on amicable terms, and as Kevin leaves, he hears the church bells ring, and he realizes he's got to booby-trap his house. 
When he arrives home, he says, This is my house. I have to defend it. Now we get to the best part of the movie, in my opinion. But I'm not going to go over all the details as to what the house throws at the crooks. I will say that it is full of slapstick humor and makes this movie probably the funniest one I could watch over and over when I was a kid and never get bored. Sometimes I would rewind parts on the VHS version when I was little just to get more laughs from this great film. If you have never seen this movie and don't want to watch it from start to finish, just look up Home Alone booby traps on YouTube to watch some of them. And kids, don't try this at home. If you know that burglars are going to come to your house at night, don't drop some kind of magical plan to attack, maim, and mutilate them. Just call the police in the first place. But I guess where is the in- but I guess where is the entertainment in that? It is also worth noting that Kevin does actually call the police to say that his house is being robbed. After throwing everything he can at the crooks, Kevin runs into a next-door neighbor's house, but Harry and Marv are waiting for him there, and they go over a litany of things which Kevin had done to them. Harry gets ready to bite off Kevin's fingers, but old man Marley comes and saves the day, bashing the two crooks with his trusty snow shovel. How did Marley know that Kevin was in danger? Maybe he saw Kevin being chased by the two crooks. I don't know. Whatever the case, Kevin is saved. The cops come and arrest the two burglars, and all is right with the world. And Kevin has seemingly cleaned the house up, too. On Christmas morning, Kevin's mom shows up at the house, calling his son's name. The two lock eyes. Mom apologizes to Kevin, and the two embrace. And just a few seconds later, the whole family arrives and expresses joy that Kevin is okay. Even Buzz compliments Kevin for not burning the place down. Kevin goes by the window as the rest of the family moves away for a minute, and outside the window, Kevin sees Marley, who has reconciled with his son. The two wave at each other, and then Kevin hears Buzz yell, Kevin, what did you do to my room? And that's the end. So, what lessons can we learn from this movie? I would say that one of them is something that young people especially need to take heart to, but young adults need to as well, is that, and that is that the world doesn't revolve around you alone. Society is made up of a large amount of people, and we all need to be able to give and take, help and learn from each other in order to make it in this world. I think Kevin grew from this whole experience in that regard. A second lesson we can glean from this movie is to not take your family for granted. We might not like each member of our family and whatever family we are born in, but we have to learn to love each other and our family and not take our family members for granted. If there arises bad blood between us and a family member when we get older, we need to try to make the steps necessary to try to repair that bad blood, like Marley tried to patch up things with his son. If we try and fail in patching things up at first, we shouldn't give up. We must persevere until all our options have been exhausted. And sometimes these things will take time and sacrifice. I just say that we don't give up. There is always hope. And one final lesson from this movie we can learn is that hateful rumors started by people who don't know certain details of a situation can really hurt people. Make sure you have your facts straight, especially if the rumors have nothing to do with you. And if it is a rumor, and especially if it is a false rumor, maybe it shouldn't be spread at all. 
Thank you, everyone, for joining with me on this journey of exploring the first Home Alone movie. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed watching and reviewing it. Thanks for listening to the Jump on Movies podcast, and everyone have an awesome day. Take care.